Hi there and welcome once again to Nightlight. Well, on this show, I'm going to share with you a lecture given by one of my favorite Christian 19th century authors and eschatologists, Benjamin Wills Newton. It's titled The Day of the Lord in Zechariah 14. It's just amazing that this teaching was given in 1840, over 180 years ago, and it sounds just so current and so relevant to the time in which we're now living, as we anticipate the same great events which Newton talks about. The great events leading up to that great day of the Lord, when he shall stand on the Mount of Olives with all his saints with him. The great day when Christ's 1,000-year reign on earth will begin. Using Zechariah 14 as his text, Newton highlights the fate of Israel both before and after that great day, as well as the role of resurrected Christians during the millennium and the relationship between earthly and heavenly Jerusalem. And there's a lot more besides that'll thrill you and keep you looking up and above the world's present woes and tribulations and looking eagerly forward to that great day.
The Day of the Lord in Zechariah 14 by Benjamin Wills Newton Was it not a blessed thing to be such a prophet as Zechariah? Was it not a blessed thing to stand like Jeremiah or Isaiah, witnesses for God's truth in the midst of a disobedient and gainsaying people? Is there no honor in such a place? Would you not desire it? Well, although we are not prophets, yet we may speak the things that the prophets speak. Their testimonies may be revived in our lips. Men may be caused to hear through us what the prophets and the Lord and the apostles have spoken respecting the things about to be. And it is no little matter whether our hearts are filled with our own thoughts, our own vain imagination which Satan rules, for Satan gains the mastery of our thoughts when they do not flow from the source of God's own truth. It is no little matter whether we have the false suggestions of Satan in our hearts or the knowledge of the truth of God. So there is nothing that I could desire more for you than first to see you simple in your thoughts respecting redemption, holding fast those blessed words, sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus once, and then to see you standing forth in the strength of that redemption, maintaining the truths of his holy word. So would you every day more and more feel the importance of having your thoughts filled with the knowledge of what God has revealed to us in his word, in order that we might lead others to the wellsprings of truth, where they may be at once sanctified and comforted as the separated people of the Lord. For it is truth that sanctifies. Now the passage which I have read to you this evening respecting things to come is so plain, so simple, that who is there that can fail of understanding it? It is a word addressed to Jerusalem, the place which God has loved, the place on earth where he has chosen to set his name, the place where he intends by and by to make his name known, and whence he will publish his saving truth unto all nations. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. I was speaking to you a short time since of what the Lord Jesus said respecting Jerusalem. He wept over it. He said days of vengeance were coming on it, and they should long continue, even until the times of the Gentiles should be fulfilled. So it is up to this present hour. On Jerusalem the days of vengeance are still resting. The curse of God is still resting on that land and city. And yet who recognizes it? Few know, few think that it is so. Nothing is more plainly stated in the word of God, and yet there's nothing of which men are more unconscious. And this is one of the signs of the times, one of the signs of the present hour. Human events have now gone on so as to cause the thoughts of men again to be frequently turned towards Jerusalem. Men of this world, men great in power, are now fixing their thoughts on that stricken city. They think that it would be well to establish power and greatness there again. They think it would be a very good and desirable thing to gather the scattered Jews again to Jerusalem, and finally they will do it. And now, if you wish to know what God says to the Jews then, what he says to that city and people when they shall again have wandered back into their own land, you must read this chapter. It is the address of the Lord to that city and people. The first words of this chapter are, 
Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. These are solemn words. The day of the Lord is a solemn word, and it is well we should understand its meaning. The word behold calls our most solemn attention. The Lord speaks to Jerusalem. He speaks of her spoil, for there will be riches and greatness there. Jerusalem will be one of the earth's greatest cities, but its greatness will be unhallowed greatness, and on it the day of the Lord will come. But observe how it comes. I will gather all nations, and who will be aroused by this? There will be no visible interference of divine power. All that men will discern will be the assembling of mighty armies, but this they will have seen often before. They will see in it no sign. If there was something done by the Lord palpably and outwardly, man might be able then to trace the hand of the Lord in it. But how often have armies threatened cities? And when again the western nations go up against Jerusalem, it will only be regarded as a repetition of what has often before been. None will think or care about it, excepting indeed those distinctly taught these things by the Spirit of the Lord, because God conceals his hand and works silently when he intends to surprise the world in its wickedness. Accordingly, he says that that day will come as a thief in the night, when men are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. But those who know the truth will see that it is the Lord who will gather the nations. He says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. It will be the Lord's hand that will do it. He will prosper their ways, and they will be gathered against Jerusalem to battle, and they will subdue it. They will take it and divide the spoil. They will triumph and congratulate one another on it. God, in judgment, sends prosperity on the wicked, but their triumph shall be short. Observe what the next verse declares. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. How few believe that. How few believe the Lord will really interpose as of old in the things of this earth. Very few, even of God's own people, believe it. They have been so much accustomed to have their thoughts directed to their rest in heaven, their hope, and the blessedness they expect there, that they have quite forgotten other parts of truth, such as this. They have forgotten what God has revealed touching the destinies of Jerusalem, his earthly city, how he has said that he will interfere for it and fight for it as when he fought in the day of battle. In other words, his mighty power shall visibly be put forth on behalf of Israel, even as when of old he overthrew Pharaoh and the hosts of Egypt, or smote the hosts of Midian. Many times we read of his fighting for Israel. His presence was manifested, no one doubted it. It was known that the Lord was with them, and so will it be again and far more marvelously. Indeed, the history of the past to Israel is not merely the record of what has been, it is also the type, the pledge, the forerunner of what is again to be. The scripture teems with references to the great coming interference of God, when he shall shake all things in order to establish the manifested kingdom of his Son, for did God create the earth that Adam might ruin it, or that man, since him, might fill it with wickedness and mar and destroy it to the end? No, he will fill it with the glory of Christ. He will again bring the first begotten into the world and say, let all the angels of God worship him. Such is God's intention as to the earth. It is that Christ should be brought into it, the King of glory, in order that he might reign until he has subdued every enemy.
and you who believe will share with Christ in that hour. It is the great and all-important hour, the hour foreordained before the world was, and therefore it is no wonder that the Scripture teems with reference to it. No wonder that we have to read the Song of Moses and many a record of Israel's past history as looking on to that coming day. But to return to the chapter before us. His feet, it is said, i.e. the feet of the Lord, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Can any words be more plain than these? Is it then a matter of distinct faith to yourselves? You know where the Mount of Olives is. It stands at this moment close to Jerusalem. It was the mountain in which the Lord Jesus passed most of his nights when near Jerusalem. He was in the city teaching by day, but in the evening he was wont to go out to the Mount of Olives, and there he spent his nights, his nights of bitter sorrow. There it was that he held the conversation with his disciples regarding these very things. There too was Gethsemane. Thence he ascended up into heaven when the angels came and said to the disciples who were looking after him, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The Mount of Olives, therefore, was the last place on which his feet rested when here. It was the place that peculiarly witnessed his sorrows and humiliation. Now it is on this place, on this mount, that his feet will first rest again. The very first place on which his feet will stand will be the Mount of Olives. But no longer in sorrow, no longer in humiliations, no, it will be in glory. The glory of God as Jehovah, as the one that is bringing in his own day. It is called the Day of Jehovah. Then too it is said, the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, towards the east and towards the west. The moment his feet touch it, the earth will bear witness to the presence of its God. The Mount of Olives will instantly cleave asunder. It stands at present just as when Jesus was there, olives still growing on it. There it is, one undivided mountain, in pattern and shape as when he left it, thereby bearing witness that the glory of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, is not yet manifested. Does anyone say it has come? Yes, Christians have said so. They have said that Jesus has come as this chapter speaks, but the Mount of Olives may rebuke them. There it stands, a witness that Jesus has not returned. And the moment that he does return, it will bear witness to his presence. It will cleave in twain. It will be no more one mountain. There shall be a very great valley. It will be nature bearing witness to the presence of nature's God. I lately read to you that passage in Luke 21 which speaks of the signs of the times, and this will be one of these signs. And now observe, besides this, it is not only said that Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives, but it is also said, the Lord my God, i.e. Jesus, Jehovah, the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. When formerly he stood there, it was as despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But when he stands there again, it will be in glory with all his holy angels, for they will accompany him from heaven when he descends into the air, and with all his glorified saints, for they will be changed and caught up to meet him in the air. There will not be one absent, not one from Abel to the last saint that falls asleep. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, and every believer in Jesus will really surround him then. Now I wish this to be received by you as a tangible, certain fact. I wish it be realized by your faith. It is of no little moment to connect our own prospects of glory with the day of Jesus. And now I would ask you, what will you feel at that hour respecting everything that is of the earth? The glory of the kingdoms of this world, all the pomp and pride of this life, everything that man has, what will it all seem to you in that hour when the glory of God, the glory of angels, the glory of Jesus, and your own glory as connected with him, standing there in the majesty of his power, shall be manifested? What will the glory of earth then seem to you when the earth shall tremble at the presence of his glory, and yet you be safe with and like the Lord, strong in the power of God, without any of the feelings or habits of nature remaining, all that gone, and you really standing in the strength, majesty, and power of God. Such is your prospect regarding the Mount of Olives, and therefore when you read of it and hear of it, take care that you remember that it is the place where you are soon to be found around your Lord. Do not think of it with mere earthly thoughts, but think of what he has told you respecting it. To believe what the Lord has said is part of the walk of faith, otherwise we walk in the light of our own thoughts. We are not expecting what God has told us to expect, and therefore we cannot expect to have the effects of faith produced in our souls. But where is Israel at that moment? Are they as a people prepared to meet the Lord their God? No. It is said of them that they shall flee, like as they fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. The earthquake came and found them unprepared. They fled in terror and dismay. And so shall it be again. All that will have passed upon them will not have subdued their hearts. As a nation they will be found impenitent, though a remnant in the midst of them will have their hearts softened and be spared. Think of the words of the Lord to his servant Isaiah. For though thy people Israel be as the land of the sea, yet only a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Isaiah 10.22 And as for the Gentile nations, the ten proud kingdoms of the Roman world that will be gathered there, confederate against Jerusalem and against Israel, saying, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. The day of their doom will have come. The day of the Lord will suddenly break upon them in all the destructive power of its glory, and their place shall be no more found, except indeed in Tophet, prepared for them and for their king. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king, Antichrist, who shall head this last gathering against Jerusalem. It is prepared. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. This awful day of visitation shall, it is said, be one day. It shall be one day known unto the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. It shall be a day that shall not have the accustomed light of day, for all the natural sources of light shall be withdrawn. The stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, 
and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. Hence, there will not be the ordinary light of day. Neither, on the other hand, will there be the darkness of night. The earth indeed will be, as it were, hidden in the womb of darkness, darkness that may be felt, such darkness as rested on the formless void before God said, Let there be light. Yet, in the midst of this black intensity of darkness will be present the brightness of heaven's own glory. He whose feet shall then stand on the Mount of Olives shall come in his own glory and in his Father's glory and in the glory of the holy angels. Risen saints also, bright in all the risen glory of their Lord, will meet him in the air. As fire goeth before him, and burneth up his enemies round about, his lightnings enlightened the world, and the earth saw and trembled. Psalm 97 He shall be revealed in flaming fire. Hence there cannot be darkness, even though there be no natural light. There will not be the light of day, neither will there be the darkness of night. It will be a day that will suddenly break in upon the ordinary course of nature. Its characteristics will be as peculiar as itself. Yet this awful interruption in the course of nature shall not be so extended as to break the appointed succession of day and night. For God made a covenant with Noah and said, While the earth remaineth, day and night shall not cease. Accordingly, the day appointed for this act of visitation will be strictly a day, duly preceded by night and duly followed by night. Indeed, the intervention of wrath shall have ceased before the evening has run its course. For it is said, At evening time it shall be light. At evening time the natural sources of light shall be restored, the moon and stars shall again shine peacefully on the stricken earth. It shall be an evening of rest, the first commencement in the earth of the peace of the millennial day. The spared in Israel will know how to welcome, how to appreciate it. To them, sorrow and sighing will have fled away. But how will their hearts have been instructed? They will have been brought through all the terrors and darkness of that awful day. They will have seen countless multitudes smitten whilst they were spared. They will have been spared in grace, undeserved grace, simply because God has been pleased to have pity on them, having mercy upon whom he will have mercy. They will recognize that it is grace then. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Psalm 115, verse 1. Such will be the language of their lips and of their hearts then. And will not such persons, after their hearts shall have been bruised and broken by the terrors of that day, and by the remembrance of all the past history of themselves and of their people, and after they shall have looked to him whom they pierced and have mourned, and after they have received the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, will they not be peculiarly constituted fit messengers of God? messengers of grace? Will they not, like so many Pauls, be ready to bear witness to the abounding grace of God? It will be the same gospel as that in which we now rejoice, but it shall go forth in brightness then, and their message shall be blessed. It will be no longer said, Who hath believed our report? For their message will be welcomed, and all Israel and many peoples shall be ready to say, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, 
that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. As they sow, and wherever they sow, God will command his blessing. Satan will be bound and therefore will no longer be able to pluck away the seed and the course of this present evil age will have ended so that the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will no longer choke the seed and make it unfruitful. It will be the hour of the supremacy of truth. Jerusalem shall be at its center. See Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. And thence it shall flow forth as a mighty river. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. No doubt this will be literally fulfilled. A river, the same that Ezekiel saw, see Ezekiel chapter 47, shall issue from Jerusalem with power to heal the bitter waters of the deep. The waters of the Dead Sea and of the Mediterranean Sea are specifically mentioned. For who now could continuously drink of those waters, or any waters of the bitter deep, and live? There will be therefore an actual healing of the waters of the great deep, and they will be relieved from the curse which now rests on them in common with the rest of the groaning earth. But these waters of healing, blessed in themselves, will be yet more blessed in respect of that which they symbolize, for they are the symbol of that river of truth, that stream of spiritual health which through the gospel shall go forth from Jerusalem over all nations. The land of Israel in the millennium will be a sphere of living types. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. It will be a reality, a fact, but a typical fact, indicating the dominance of universal peace, when strength shall no longer devour weakness and when weakness shall no longer fear the proximity of strength. So also, as to the waters that shall go forth from Jerusalem, you will be blessed to see them change by their transforming efficacy, waters of bitterness and death into waters of sweetness and life. But what is this physical change in comparison with the moral transformation that shall be found in millions of changed hearts that shall no longer be fountains of poison and death, but become first recipients and then communicators of spiritual healthfulness and life. He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Such will be the relation of converted Israel to the nations in that day. Jerusalem shall be marked by holiness then. See how full the description in the concluding verses of this chapter. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein. And in that day there shall be no more the trafficker, Canaanite, in the house of the Lord of hosts. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 21. That is, external life as seen in the streets of the city. Religious life and domestic life shall be alike marked with holiness and covetous shall no longer penetrate the courts of God's house. Such will be Jerusalem when established under the covenant of grace, a fit city then to be the home of truth, 
and the source of testimony. May we learn a lesson from this. We are indeed poor sinners of the Gentiles, yet we are brought nigh through faith in the blood of Jesus and forestall all the spiritual blessings of converted Israel and rest now under the shelter of that new covenant, which will be the ground of all their blessing and glory. Will they be washed in the blood of the Lamb? So are we. Will they be one with Christ risen? So are we. Will they be one with Christ risen? So are we. Will they receive the outpouring of that Spirit that shall lead into all truth? So do we. Will Christ in all his fullness be theirs? So is he ours. Are they to wait for the new heavens and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness? We wait for the same thing. The truths for which we now testify and for which they will testify are the same, though they will testify in the hour of the truth's triumph, we in the hour of its reproach and suffering. Yet, if the darkness be great and the power of falsehood mighty, if in this season of night many monsters have gone forth from their dens, if ritualism crouches on the one hand and latitudinarian infidelity ravens on the other, the more need that we should grasp the banner of truth firmly and that we should seek steadily to hold forth the word of life. We are indeed commanded to be as a city set on a hill. Once the church collectively was this. It was once the pillar and ground of the truth, but it is scattered now, and the falsehood and worldliness of ritualism reigns and will be supplanted by nothing till it bows to Antichrist. Nevertheless, there yet remains individual testimony, the more honorable and precious because of the abounding evil. Individuals may yet show that they are the servants of the truth, that they're not quite as salt that's lost its savor. There is still the gospel of the grace of God, the everlasting gospel. We may declare it. We may say to all men that God is ready to receive them, not in their own names, not in the value of their own characters, but in the value of the name of Jesus, and as a covenant God to know them in the preciousness of that name, forevermore. We may say to everyone who saith, What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We may say to those who've cast themselves with the feeblest faith on God through the blood of Jesus, that they shall never be confounded. We may tell them that they already have a representative existence in heaven, even while personally on earth, for that Christ is their risen head, and in him they are already seated in heavenly places. We may encourage one another to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience and the like, knowing that so an abundant entrance shall be ministered into the everlasting kingdom. We may mark the place of believers as being apart from the greatness, whether ecclesiastical or secular, of man's city. Our place is without the gate, bearing his reproach. Here we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. We cannot be too careful to view the advancing natural greatness of the earth in the light of this chapter. The power of the nations is being greatly increased, their resources enlarged, their strength consolidated. But all this power, and perhaps very soon, is to be brought to bear on Jerusalem, to prostrate it, to blot it out, to extinguish the name of Israel. But there, the gathered hosts of earth will meet God. God will consume them. 
Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. This is no cunningly devised fable. It is the word of God. The withering hand of God will be really laid on living men, men great in power and military prowess, the flower of our fleets and of our armies, men great in all that the world is seeking after. Come, it is said to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Ah, how little men think as they grasp so proudly the helm of their mighty vessel, that it is vast speeding onward to this point of overwhelming ruin. May human progress, as men now vaunt it, be ever viewed by us in the light of these testimonies. Then they will separate us from unclean things and teach us to wait for God's Son from heaven. It will be otherwise with the spared in Israel. They, as having rejected the gospel during the time that it was preached to them in patient grace, will be caused to pass through the fiery terrors of that day of visitation. I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call upon my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. These, the spared in the land, and others of their brethren gathered from all corners of the earth and converted, shall people Jerusalem and the land of Israel. But Jerusalem on earth will be connected with another Jerusalem that is above where all is heavenly and not earthly, where their brethren, the church of the firstborn, will have preceded them, who thence, perfect not only in glory, but in their sympathies and affections and in the power of caring for others, will watch over Jerusalem and the earth and minister continually to them. As Moses and Elijah once visited the earth in glory, so during the millennial reign, the glorified saints will from time to time visit the earth to minister to the heirs of salvation in it until the imperfect millennial state shall have passed away and be succeeded by the new heaven and new earth in which all the redeemed of every dispensation shall form one glorified church, perfected forevermore. But what, it may be asked, will be the portion of believers when the day of the Lord comes? Will they be involved in its terrors and be made to pass through its fires? No. The first act of the Lord when he descends into the air and reveals his glory is to take them, changed and glorified, to himself. Before he sends forth any of his judgments, the trumpet shall sound and the saints who sleep shall rise glorified and they who are yet alive shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye and both together be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and to come with him for he will descend from the air to the Mount of Olives, and there his saints shall surround him. They will therefore be in the same circle of light and glory that surrounds their Lord, and they will be like him. No traces of their natural selves will remain. They will no longer bear the image of the earthly, but the image of the heavenly. Whether called to behold death or life, judgment or glory, darkness or light, they will behold all as and with 
their Lord. Terror will be no terror to them. Darkness will be no darkness in the light of the presence of their glory. They will be strong according to the strength of Christ. They will follow him whithersoever he goeth. Let us not then despise the facts of this chapter. Let us place them before our children. Let us seek to teach them to all. The solemnity of these future facts and the simplicity with which they are revealed may arrest the attention even of the careless heart and show it the delusion under which Christendom slumbers as to these things. What a difference! whether we view the future of the earth according to men's present thoughts respecting human progress or according to the testimonies of such a chapter as this. May it not be said unto us that the prophets have prophesied to us in vain. I was reading The Day of the Lord in Zechariah 14 by Benjamin Wills Newton. If you'd like a copy of that text, if you email me at simonpeterson2008 at gmail.com, I'll send it to you. Thanks so much to Jerry Palladino for the instrumental music. Opening song was by Johnny Lang. And let's go out with this one from David Blossom. God bless you. I pray this has been a blessing to you and I look forward to being back with you again soon for another international nightlight show. Bye for now. Free.
song throne beside the king Will have restored the earth to everlasting spring Rivers flowing in the deserts, flowers everywhere The laughter and the song of children fill the earth and air I'm singing, you're singing We're singing a song of freedom I'm singing you're singing, we're singing a song of freedom I'm singing, you're singing, we're singing a song of freedom I'm singing, you're singing, we're singing a song of freedom I'm singing, you're singing Singing, you're singing, we're singing a song.